Listeners, no matter the date on the calendar, today is Valentine's Day, because it's always Valentine's Day when you bring on the insidious glamour artist, mental health nurse, and frontline worker who will heal your body while stealing your heart. So, put your hands together and help me welcome the darling of Darlington, Ms. Cherry Valentine. Welcome, Cherry. Hello, darling. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, thanks. I'm good. How's your day been going? Good. It's been all right. Yeah, just busy. It's been a bit hectic at the minute. Really? Why? <laughs> just, yeah, just little things going on. That's all. Just lots of things going on. Yeah, <laughs> little things, you know. Little, yeah, exactly. You chat about some soap <laughs> operas that you like to watch, right? Because that's the yeah. TV stuff. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it must be a crazy onslaught, particularly with the, I was going to say the lack of activity of the last year, but you've not been uh, lacking in any activity. You've been straight into the frontline work and also you work as a mental health nurse so you must have been sort of split between the two recently yeah i mean it's been non-stop really i'm quite envious of the people who've been at home for the past year just um <laughs> watching tv and catching up on netflix but yeah it's been it's been very wild but it's it's been very eye-opening at the same time in what way in just, I just feel a bit lot different about life now. I just really appreciate that life is way too short and mm-hmm. that we shouldn't take anything for granted. I think working through the pandemic plus coupled with Drag Race, that's really just, it's just made me more confident and like open with everything. Sure. Now working during the pandemic must be quite something, particularly, I mean, in your line of work because you're a mental health nurse, but you also do, uh, actually, maybe it'd be better if you describe for me what you do in these times. Yeah, I mean, initially, yeah, it was just a very mental health focused. So that's, I did a lot of therapy. Um, it was, yeah, mainly talking therapies and medication management, stuff like that. But then when we stopped filming for Drag Race, I went back into nursing and um, it was a completely different landscape. So sure. it was like, there wasn't enough people working in the physical side. Mm-hmm. So I was doing shifts in A&E and places that I'd never worked in. It was very physical health focused, things that I'd never really done before. Sure. Um, but it was invaluable experience at the same time. I can imagine. And But with focusing on mental health, though, I, I imagine that you were helping other people around you and at the beginning of the pandemic anyway, before you went into the all hands on deck. Yeah. Situation. I mean, mental health, yeah. Mental health has always been like a massive, massive thing in my life. Like I always, I used to take it for granted when I was younger because I didn't really understand what it was. I just thought it was like, we've all got problems. We need to deal with them. Maybe it was the way I was brought up, but <laughs> as, as I've got, come to realize that mental health is such a massive thing nowadays, like especially in the current climate and everything like I'm just really focused on people opening up and talking about how they actually feel. And yeah. before before I went obviously to the show and the pandemic and everything, that's all I was doing primarily, just therapy. Yeah. Now, when did you start that? When was your interest first twigged about mental health? Because as you said, you know, when you were younger, it wasn't really something you thought about. I think that's true of most uh, of us. Mm. I think it stems from... Um, not wanting to feel like not wanting other people to feel like I felt as I was growing up because sure. I felt like I couldn't really talk to anyone. I felt like I couldn't open up 
all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was very in my own head and I, I didn't really understand it. But as I went through college and school, I realized that there were people that you could speak to, like there was counselors, there was therapists that you could do that. So I think that's what really set it off for me. So that was the first time that you were sort of made aware of it. And it was at school. So do you remember the first time you spoke to a counselor? Yeah, I do. And it was the first and only time for a long, long time. Like I was struggling quite a lot at school because I was the only out gay kid at the time and I come from a gypsy background and no one really talked about it and I felt like I didn't really belong there. So the teachers approached me and said, do I want to speak to the school counsellor? And I was like, as a kid, you're just like, yeah, I'll give it a go, but it'll be shit. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I did and it. You're like, you're like, whatever, I'll get out of this. I'll just do my, I'll put in the time, I'll show my face and then I'll get the fuck yeah. out of there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Tick the box and do it. <laughs> so I went in um, and I just cried for the whole hour. Literally just cried my eyes out for the whole hour. And then didn't really talk about anything at all. Came out of it and I just then didn't talk about my feelings for a couple of years after that. But that was my first only only experience for a long, long time, just sitting crying. So I didn't really have the best time. But I <laughs> in a way. Right, but rather impactful, um, it seems, because then you later went into the field. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, we all go through them times in our life where it's like sort of a crisis point, but we don't like acknowledge that it's fully a crisis point at the time. So yeah. I, love, I love retrospect and hindsight. It's a wonderful thing um, to just like really reflect on things like that. Now, do you think that um, we protect ourselves from acknowledging that we're in a crisis point sometimes because it'd be too much to actually acknowledge it on top of everything else? Oh, absolutely. I think as humans, that's what we do. We're like programmed to just try and get on with everything. Um, so when we look back sometimes and think that was a really tough time, it's it's a really good learning curve. Right. Yeah. And sometimes you can be um, stunned at how you kept uh, moving through the day during some of those times yeah i mean we've had break like it's, it's that's what it is isn't it we have full-on breakdowns and like crises then we open the front door and smile and like everything's normal but, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly yeah you still have to take care of the tasks and the this and the that yeah yeah like when we go food shopping or anything like that to the supermarket we just smile and walk around and say hello to everyone and but actually inside we're screaming but you don't no, you don't. And there's so many conversations where you, you're like, oh, I'm fine. How are you doing? And it's completely the opposite of the truth. Especially British people. I'm not sure we're like in different countries, but we just say, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, everything's great. <laughs> <laughs> there is a, a much more reticent uh, approach to, or rather the British are more reticent about talking about that stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure where that comes from. Maybe it's like a pride thing or I don't know. So I have ADHD. And a couple friends of mine who live in England recently got assessed, and mm. they were telling me that it's not as it's not as um, believed, or it's not as it's not taken as seriously, rather, in England. Yeah, there is a misconception that ADHD is just bad behaviour a lot of the time, which mm-hmm. is not the case at all. Obviously, is is myself and you know, but exactly, my bad behaviour has nothing to do with. The ADHD, as I'm sure. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think that's that's what, like, through school as well, especially a lot of young children get diagnosed with ADHD and they're just, like, they get that name of, oh, they're just the naughty kids. But that's not the case. Like, it can mean so many different things and it's not just that behavior. Right. Now, when you were a kid, uh, it sounds, you know, from what you said before and in your interviews and on the show, that it was kind of a tough time because of the situation that you grew up in. And could you describe it a little? Because I know that you 
Uh, is it Romani? Is that Roma- is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, yeah, Romani. Yeah, Romani. So forgive me. So uh, your background is Romani, and is it? Uh, I, I want to ask because I don't know how uh, the description is, is preferred. Romani traveler, or are those separate uh, identifications? Uh, it depends. Like a lot of people, just a lot of people like associate Romani with gypsy, and then the Irish traveler would be a traveler, but. Um, like some people use both and I've just grown up always people people called me both so I don't really mind it's kind of like either term works yeah I guess so because in in essence of it being Romany I mean when I was younger we used to travel around so you technically are a traveler like you travel around don't you how long would you stay in one place for it at, at a given time it depends because we normally used to travel like and it's usually the case of the the fathers the men uh traveling for work so we just stay as long as they're working in the area or whatever when did you uh, move to darlington so i was born in darlington so darlington's always somewhere that we used to come back it was sort of like the base the hub if you will so i did spend a lot of my time growing up in darlington and then obviously i went went to school and i wanted to stay through school so i was there for quite a long time i was really interested in art um but i didn't tell my parents that obviously Uh (laughs) because <laughs> I didn't really agree with that but I went to college and then I picked up psychology um literature and then I also did fine art and textiles and stuff on the side but they didn't know about that either. <laughs> so they're, all, they're always running in parallel to each other when you say that you, you kind of kept that stuff from them what was the general attitudes at home just about things of that nature well growing up um in a gypsy background like it, it is very old-fashioned i hate using it old-fashioned but it is traditional sure. uh, values that they all hold like the men are the men and the women are the women so the women tend to stay home all day and clean and look after the family and then the men go out to work and earn the money but it's very typical what people would a lot of people would class as typical men jobs like cars and building and i was never interested in that um <laughs> but that was that was always what i'd been brought up to to like aspire to it i suppose um because that was what i thought in my head when i was younger i would grow up and take over my dad's job as a mechanic it almost becomes unspoken that this is just what's going to happen right there's no discussion about it it's the the way it is yeah, completely unspoken. Like I remember going to weddings and funerals and family events when I was younger and the men would always sit with the men, the women would sit with the women and they would never really mix. Um, they would only really mix if they were going to the bar and buying a drink or the women would go on the dance floor and force one of the men to get up. But it was very rare. <laughs> right. And of course, the more interesting conversations, right, were in the, at the women's tables. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's what it was like. But we never spoke about that and it was never a thing like, oh, this is what you'll do. It's just what you did. You absorb a lot by just observing mm. as a kid. That's part of the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. Looking back now, I'm like, it's a bit odd that. Like, why can't everyone just sit wherever they want? <laughs> but at, yeah. At, at the time, that's you just like, yeah, I'll just stay with the men because I've been told I'm a man. So it's so odd, though, because it's not just strictly to gypsy communities that you see it all over, like even in TV, stereotypes all the time of men and women. So it's just very weird how it's. Right. I think the stereotypes that we are bombarded with all the time are one of the worst things about it because not only do we see it in whatever growing up situation that we have, but it's constantly repeated on television. And that's one of the great things, one of the many great things about Drag Race and similar shows is yeah. that it can uh, offer up you know, other things to people because a lot of times, they're, it's not that they're like hateful. I mean, there certainly are a lot of hateful people, but sometimes it's just that they don't see it, so therefore they don't understand it. And if they're not going to get a sense of what it is, 
yeah exactly i love drag race so that side of it though because it does really give a different taste to everyone especially if you don't even know what drag is like especially with it coming over to the uk quite recently it has opened a lot of people's ideas of what what is traditional and what's like what is the now the normal the the future i don't know when did you first start to have an inkling that you were gay um from as long as i can remember i was never <laughs> i was never interested in in women romantically i always just wanted to be the friends yeah um, sure again the better conversations are going on with the girls so yeah, i just love i love love women i think they're so incredible um and i've just always been really inspired by them and i just from as long as i can remember i just never like found women romantically enticing yeah um but I, I don't know. I think it really came into the forefront of my mind when I was um, in my early, early teens, like 12, 13, 14, because um, my mom sat me down and she's the one who said me, I never said it out loud to anyone, but she's the one who said, I know that you're gay, but let's not talk about it and let's not tell anyone. Mothers always know, right? Mothers always know. Yeah, she sort of like knew it and told me that I was gay, but without that, like, do you know what I mean? It was yeah. really good. Yeah, uh, I still remember that now, and um, it's something that I always think, oh, maybe that's the first time that I really, really knew, like, put a name to it because you grow sure. up. And I used to always be hidden from that because any time anything gay would come up on TV, it used to be flicked over straight away. So I didn't really get the opportunity, and there wasn't any internet really, and yeah, it was it was a different time. But I really came into my own, I think, when I came through school. Mm-hmm. So I was like uh, mid-teens. Um, but as I said, I was the only out gay kid in school, but other people knew what gay was. So I started putting the pieces together. It was only maybe a year ago that I'd actually said the words to my mum, like, I'm gay. Um, and I've never spoken to it with any other member of my family. I've never said that before. Um, actually, I'm sure know by this point because they've probably seen it on TV and all <laughs> over the place, but on the internet. Um, but I've never actually spoken about it. So. Yeah, my, I came out at school a lot to my close friends, and then mm-hmm. the next day everyone knew, but no one really talked about it unless I opened the conversation. What was school like in terms of getting along? Did you get along all right? Yeah, school was school was school. Really, it was. I was always that kid who didn't really have a solid friendship group, mm-hmm. and I would always float between different people. I never really felt like I fitted in anywhere. Sure, um, I think that's the, the case for a lot of people who grow up similar. But yeah, I. Just, yeah, I always felt like the odd one out. So I, I just, I told a couple of people who I spoke a lot more to. And there were some people who didn't like it, who I just avoided. But it was, it is what it is. I mean, there's always bullies at school and there's always people that you get close to. As long as you have a couple, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's all you need. You just need yeah. a couple of solid people through life, I think. Now, what about when you went to college? Was that a much different experience? Yeah, college was the first time that I actually started finding out that there was other people who were queer like the, it helps when you're like oh there's other folks what okay great yeah you like I'm this not too? the only one in the world because <laughs> 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 you do feel like that you feel like you're the only one in the world um but yeah I started discovering that there was other queer people I like I got friends with a lesbian and I was like oh my god there's a lesbian um <laughs> but it's, it's just yeah it really opened my eyes in college and that's I think that's what spurred me on to want to do more as well and like move away from my family a little bit Mm-hmm. So that's why I moved to the other side of the country and went to university and all this stuff. But it it definitely was a part of it that made me want to do that. Yeah. Now, where did you move to when you moved far away? Because a big move away is is a very definitive kind of thing, especially at the age that you were talking about. 
Yeah, I mean, I was when I went to university when I was 17, 18. So I moved out of the house. Um, and then it was like, it was only like two and a half hours away, but that's literally the other, the other side of the country for us. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, country, that's quite far. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was, I just moved to the other side of the country and went to university and lived my own life and discovered myself properly, I suppose. Now, what area is that that you moved to? Uh, Lancaster. So it was near the Lake District area. Mm-hmm. It's lovely. Oh, I'll have to check it out sometime. I'm quite fond of England, but I've only, I mean, I've seen mainly London and I want to check out Manchester and all that, but I haven't really. Oh, it's a lovely yeah. place. Yeah, I live near Manchester now and it's, oh, you need to come and fabulous. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. What was the first date that you went on? The first date? Yeah. Oh my God. Um, Is that too probing? Is that too. No one's ever even asked me and I'm trying to remember. I mean, through like school and college, there was always that hidden um, from different schools. We used to go out and like drink in the park. It was it's a very British thing when you're younger to get someone to buy you a bottle of vodka and sit in the park when you're 15. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> and when you're that age, that. it's funny because you're just like, I want as much of this as I can get because I can't really get it that often. And I'm going to drink way too much of it and then probably yeah. be put off of this one booze. But then I'm going to try really hard with the next one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's what it is. And then I remember being about 15 and there was groups of kids from different schools and we would like mix sometimes. And there was always like that that straight presenting guy who was like wanted to try something and knew you were gay. You were the gay kid of school. So sure. obviously you, know, you go to them. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't say I went on an official date date till I was like in my 20s. Um, yeah well that makes sense and, and sometimes I, I ask that is what was your first situation so that was <laughs> yeah that was, that was without going too far into it it was yeah yeah was oh no you don't need yeah. to you know we can just get like you know the bullet points etc doesn't need to <laughs> so and so that was when you're still in uh living at home and everything i'm just i'm just thinking about when you're coming home from that first time and you sort of have the secret on top of a secret and your home Oh, yeah. I literally, I got used to it, though, because it was sort of growing up, I would just live two lives. Like outside of the home, I was one person and inside of the home around the family, I was a completely different person. And as a mental health professional, I want to get your take on how adept we are at uh, just as people in general at doing kind of split lives. I think sometimes it comes into effect without us even knowing or acknowledging it for a long, long time. Um, because when I was younger, I didn't know that. I did, like, looking back, I can appreciate that I was living two separate lives and it wasn't healthy um, to do that. And even now I'm still learning how to mix things together. Um, I always therapize myself because I, I, like, I like to put things in boxes. So I, I guess growing up, that's where I got it from. I would put family life in a box and I would put school life in a box and them two boxes would never open together. Right. Um, you open one at a time. <laughs> In different rooms. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and that's something in mental health that we talk about a lot, actually, is putting things into boxes to try and manage things and manage your feelings and open them when you feel like it and when you're ready and learning to live with it open. I'm still I'm still getting there. And I think it's a whole life journey for us all to try and do that. It is, it is a way of, I think, keeping us protected sometimes to try and separate everything. And it's really hard for us to unlearn uh, habits that have kept us, quote unquote, safe, whatever that might be, whether it's technically healthy or unhealthy. Yeah, definitely. What uh, sort of patients did you start working with when you were starting in mental health, in the mental health field? Um, 
Yeah, well, when I qualified in 2015, um, I went straight to working in psychiatric intensive care. So it was with adolescents as well. So it was people aged 12 to 17. This is also uh, known as the deep end, right? Because it sounds like you plunged right in. <laughs> it's yeah, intensive it care and adolescence. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, it's the height of, of, yeah, difficult mental health working sometimes. Yeah. Um, because I, I just felt like I would be able to help. I sure. felt like I had all these skills that I'd built up through training and I went to go and work with children and um, they'd all obviously been detained under mental health section. So they were all very in crisis point. Um, so I did that for three years and it burnt me out because it was tough. <laughs> did you have a problem not taking the work home with you? No, I found taking the work home all right. Um, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't do it. I could, as soon as I took my uniform off, that was it. Like I was... Well, there you go, the boxes again. Now now you can put an outfit yeah. with the box. Yeah. It's great. You got a whole set. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's that's what part of it was. It's just through life, like I've grown up to be able to separate things easily. Like I could come home and forget about everything that's going on. Um, but yeah, so I didn't really take it home with me that much. It was the fact that I, when I was there, it was very, very intense. And um, yeah, it just burnt me out. <laughs> it must have been really challenging to see someone who you're trying to help and you see that they're, they're getting in their own way and you know some one of those things when you're like you can see someone younger falling through the uh the traps that you know you wish you could sort of guide them out of yeah exactly exactly and it's difficult as well but when you find similarities with people's stories and you didn't you don't feel like you got through that like well so it's like, oh, how can I help this person when I know exactly what they're feeling? And I just want to say, it's all right, just cry it out. But <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. In the meantime, between when, between your first experiences with a gentleman caller and uh, college, <laughs> what was the general atmosphere like at home? Generally happy? Um, yeah, I guess so. We, uh, we, we were always that family who, nothing are going on and we know things are up with people but we don't really talk about it so we just pretend everything's all right and all fine so we talk about mundane day-to-day things sure but we never had in-depth conversations um i think that's really common though yeah it's so common that people almost uh, don't even realize that that can be an issue yeah and i think it's really really healthy to be able to go to your parents and talk to them because They've grown up. They know what it's like growing up, and they've got some good advice sometimes. But I don't think when we're young, we always appreciate that or want to talk to our parents because it's embarrassing as well. Um, right? It's so loaded sometimes. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, but generally, we were always that family, yeah, who just got on with it, and we were all right. And also, we forget when we're younger, and sometimes when we're older, that our parents have their own shit. They're, you know, they went through whatever yeah. they went through and then you think about the era that they went through it and how this stuff was not even remotely talked about yeah definitely um definitely it was very rare that my parents would open a conversation about something that they'd done in the past i remember once where i came back i ran away from home for a few days at college um went off the rails a little bit and came <laughs> back um and my dad was like you need to go go for a drive so we'll go for a drive 
and he just told me a bit about his past and I was like oh my god you actually were young once um, <laughs> <laughs> right oh you had a role before this role I didn't know that yeah. I thought this was your first gig <laughs> yeah. So it's, yeah it's very weird that when you open up it's like oh my god you're actually like a person but yeah it could be like that with siblings too how many siblings do you have I've got a younger brother and an older sister. I talk to my brother still, but very surface level. I don't speak to my sister anymore. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. That's all right. It's just because of drag race and being gay and all that stuff. I was hoping it was something more mundane, just like that you never, you didn't get along. That must be painful. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think so. I don't know. <laughs> I don't really acknowledge things. Like, again, it's in a box. Do you know what I mean? Well, sure. And you, like you said uh, before, it's an ever-changing thing. It's an ongoing process. Yeah, without a doubt. But I would just just talk, talk to people, even if it's not the people involved. Like, I've got a partner. We've been together for eight years, and he knows more about me than I think I do about myself now. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right, right. Because some stuff you said, and then once you said it, it's out of your head and gone. Yeah, or, you're, or, or a problem shared is a problem halved. I'm all about positive energy and positive vibes. Telling people to talk—that's what it's about. Especially because when you do open up about stuff, it immediately sort of dissolves the enormity of it. I think because we can make our problems seem like we're not going to survive them. Yeah, exactly, and that's one of the things that i took from drag race and like drag race is a tv show and i know it's a tv show in my head but it actually at the heart of it it brings out so much so many important issues yeah the first time anyone ever asked me or i spoke about my family was on drag race wow so still i'm still learning to talk about it now do you know what i mean when i saw that on the show i thought wow that's fascinating do you know what i mean and and like and also how brave to do it on a tv show and also just to be like, well, I'm going to see how this goes. We'll see how this goes. And that was my thought process. I was like, <laughs> I'll give it a go. Why not? <laughs> Let's see. Do I write a card? What do I do? Let me. TV, <laughs> TV show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what, no, honestly, that's what it was. I was just at a time in my life where I thought, why not? So I just did it. And then, and, and then you had to wait the longest out of anyone who ever had to wait to reveal anything because of the pandemic and everything. <laughs> so yeah. it, it must have been an, in, uh, an interesting kind of delayed process. Although, I mean, you know, it's the only time that's the only time you've come out on TV. So that, you know, that's the only experience you had with it. Yeah, no, it was like but it was because I had like we'd filmed and then I went back in and I was working on the COVID wars and everything. And I had this like burning thing in my head, like I'm on drag race. But I'm doing this. What the hell am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that must have co- cropped up. Like when, whenever there was something that was like either really disgusting in the ER, you know, I'm I'm on a TV show and that's coming out soon. It was always in the back of my mind, like, what the hell am I like? <laughs> it's true. What's real? I don't know what's real. It was so weird, especially in a year where most things don't seem real. Even time yeah. seems to have shifted uh, in it context. Has. It has. It's been like a year. Where's the, last, where's the last year gone <laughs> I, I, yeah i know it's so weird and, and i think i got one haircut last year that's the weirdest yeah. i was thinking about that the other day because it's getting a little bit long and i won't because california now has a variant and all this stuff i mean i'm locked up like a veal i go to maybe the store once in a while and that's it um so i was like well let's see it's either gonna get real long or i'm just gonna get the clippers one day and go for it I was gonna say, do you not do it yourself 
No, no. Um, I'm glad it looks that way, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just did it like that. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. <laughs> when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I can't wait to see a dance floor again. What's your favorite dance floor? Which is the one that you want to go back to the most? What do you mean? I just want to. I just want to go into like a gay club. A well, no, club. I mean, I, I figured that, but I mean, like, uh, do you? I was wondering. Uh, I should rephrase the question. Do you have a favorite spot? The one that you think of when you think when we have the time to go out, or, when, or rather, when we have the okay to go out? Manchester Canal Street. Have you heard of it? Is this where Kiki is, or am I mixing that up with it, something it, else? Yeah, that's where Kiki was. Yeah, I used to work in Kiki. Yeah, that's where I first did my first drag gigs um but yeah canal street it's such an amazing amazing place everyone's just so queer it's such like good energy (laughs) it is a special thing when you're on a dedicated street basically to that i remember at uh, new york pride a couple years ago being on the subway and everyone in the car had like flags on and do you know what i mean and like everyone was kind of like having a like a fun little chat which is not the usual mode on the subway it's usually like kind of avert your eyes all of that <laughs> yeah <laughs> so when did you start working at kiki um when i was still doing nursing but it was the end of 2018 i just went for a night out i was in drag my partner was working in a bar at the time um so i went out by myself in drag and i was like why not i've been doing it behind the scenes i think i'm confident enough to go out yeah so i went out um and then i got approached if i wanted to start working there um and then a year later i was doing five nights a week in the chat with davina you talked about modeling your drag aesthetic on the women in your family yes it's the big hair it's the grand gesture of looks yeah i mean growing up that's what the women did in my family they were always had the hair done and i say it all the time and i don't know if people believe me but my mom actually used to put her heels on and put her makeup on to go and get some milk from the shop like it's not even an exaggeration like they they were just always so done up always nails earrings jewelry um so i think that's where i got most of my style because the hours i'd spend rooting through my mom and sister's stuff when they're out the house oh my god it sounds like it's part of the culture that we were talking about before that the women are very very distinctly feminine and done up when in public it is yeah and i think part of that comes from a bit like stereotype of women i suppose but that's that's what i grew up around so that's what that's what i've known obviously now it's different like you can wear whatever you want but i personally just like super feminine things so they would go out the house um and i'd be home alone and just have a little have a little look around and walk around the house in my sister's heels we used to have like tiled floors when we first went into a house um it's a great sound it's a great sound love the sound of it (laughs) (laughs) i love it i love it yeah so yeah even now my house now i specifically wanted i think it was subconscious just tiles through all the bottom of the house so I just put my heels on walk around sometimes. Oh my God, it's fabulous. <laughs> it's the sound of going out. You know, there's a lot of sounds, uh, associations with the sounds. Yeah, absolutely. 
So when was the first time that you were in drag in public? Because you said you went to Kiki in drag. Had you started going out in drag before that? Um, literally, like, I think it was twice. Um, and the first time was a couple of years beforehand. It was in Newcastle for Newcastle Pride. Mm-hmm. Out with my partner and um, my best friend. And This is Michael, right? Yeah, this is Michael and my friend Katie. And she was just like, do you want to go out and drag? And I was like... Yeah, why not? It's pride. Everyone's going to love it. But yeah. I went out. It took me like five hours to get ready. And I looked exactly the same as I do now. We're just going to win I went out with them. Um, I'd, I'd taken one of my sister's dresses belt and all as well. Um, and I put that on and I, I just, yeah, I got ready and went out. And then we were out for about half an hour and I didn't feel comfortable. So I went back, took it all off and just went out in like the clothes that I would wear out of drag, but with a pair of heels on. Sure. Uh, That was my first experience going out in drag. I think that was like 2017, maybe. And then when you first performed, what numbers did you do? When I first started performing, I always wanted to perform things that I loved. So I used to play lots of video games, and I still do now, but I used to love Tomb Raider when I was younger. So I did a performance for Tomb Raider when it was like PlayStation 1. Um and um something really like fabulous which really was like diamonds of a girl's best friend you not know, moulin rouge sure i like to mix it with like geeky but with like quite fabulous and camp at the same time you know that's the essence of drag right it's like to take the things that you're interested in or any any art form really you just take the stuff that you're yeah, in and exactly. you cut it up and yeah. put it together and there you go I like, yeah i like things that make people think as well mm-hmm. um, especially now my, my aesthetics changed so much like since i'd started doing drag so I quite like really dark stuff. Now I love horror movies. Oh, what are some of your favorite horror movies? I love this uh, topic. Um, I love The Conjuring, um, The Ring, Insidious is probably one of my favorites. And I love Saw because it's so creative. Sure. Yeah, they got to come up with new ways to torture people. Every- <laughs> they, do. they do. But I just think you can you can make something that's seen as dark, like beautiful and stunning. And that's what I like doing with drag, like having really like dark aesthetic i'll be like fully done up hyper feminized but then have like full blackout eyes like drooling with blood do you know what i mean like it's yeah. just that little weird twist i love it when did you meet your partner it was um when i first moved to university one of my friends forced me to download grinder um, <laughs> <laughs> you poor thing you <laughs> i know <laughs> well, it was actually through a dating app and i didn't i hate talking to people first so he messaged me and then um, we went for coffee, went to Starbucks, and we really just hit it off. And then eight years later, we've got a house and a dog. And now, how uh, soon was it before you were living together? Oh, it was years. I was. It was the first year of university, so I went through university, lived with um, student halls, and went, did my own flat stuff for a while. So it was a couple of years. Um, then we lived for, with his dad for a while while we saved up for a house. So, are you a monogamous couple? Um, yeah. I would like yeah. to think so. Yeah. <laughs> as far as you're aware. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But yeah, yeah, I guess we are. Um but I don't I don't honestly I don't know. Like I don't I'm not strictly about monogamy because I just think the human experience is so vast and varied. We should just be able to enjoy our lives. So I would be open if he came to me one day and said whatever. I would be like, I talk, I talk about it. Do you know what I mean? Because it's, I'm not like shutting everything down. No, you can't do that. But sure, I'm open in my mind, but we're not physically open now. 
what's your general schedule like i know that right now it's pretty press intensive and drag race intensive but are you going back to the front lines anytime soon or are you splitting your time between um i mean i'm working now as a nurse so right uh, right yeah i went to um obviously to film the rest of drag race in november and then i went back into to nursing so i'm doing like vaccination centers and things at the minute so have you been vaccinated no believe it or not not yet i'm dying for it though (laughs) (laughs) i'm in line i'm in line so um but yeah i am getting it but just not right now um but yeah i've uh, been working in vaccination centers and Helping out, try and get to some form of normality a bit quicker. Express our hands. I don't well, know. thank you for your all that you're doing because you know you're one of the people making it happen. Well, thank you. <laughs> it's, just, it's just something that I've just always done, so I've not really like. Do you know what I mean? Like thought about it in that sense, but you know, without folks like you, we would be really screwed. <laughs> yeah, I think we all do. We all do all a bit. Just we all do different things. Like without podcasts, I probably wouldn't be able to survive mentally either. <laughs> That's very sweet of you. Thank you. Is there anything else that you'd suggest to people during this time or any time really, but particularly now as a um, device or a tool to use when they're maybe not doing so well? I would always just say find things that ease stress and anxiety because anxiety is such a big thing. I get messages about it all the time and people are constantly in my DMs like asking for advice about things, but I always... When I when I do therapy and stuff, I I love to use the stress vulnerability model. I know it sounds really boring, but it's actually not boring. What is that? So think of your mind as like a bucket, and everything that stresses us out gets put in the bucket. So eventually, the bucket overflows, and you have a massive blowout, and you can go off the rails, and like it really does affect your crisis point. Um, so we have to like put holes in the bucket. So things that put holes in the bucket would be hobbies and things that make you happy, talking to people, focusing on things that you can control. Um, It's just about not letting it overflow because that feeling of things overflowing and hitting crisis point is so, like, we all know it. We all know what that feels like. Right, right. So it's just really important to acknowledge that as well. And I think that's a great tip for people who might still have difficulty with reaching out, you know, because that still can sometimes be the scariest thing, particularly when you're in a deep anxiety. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I recently uh, was having a, a bad day and I just went and started watching movies on Prime and I didn't know what they were, but they were sleazy. If they're sleazy and from the 80s, I'm I'm good. I'm good. And then if there's like a ridiculous theme song or if there's hookers, oh, done. I mean. <laughs> uh, there, let's see. I watched Street Walking. That was a good one. Another one about strippers. Yeah, I love that. Pulp Fiction is so I love watching that sometimes when I feel like stressed or I just put that on and it's fabulous. There's something specific about an action movie or a suspense movie or a combination of that that can pull us out of whatever thought cycle that we're in. Yeah, and I think that's why I like horrors as well, because it makes me feel a different way. So it forces you to feel something else. Do you know what I mean? There's no getting away from it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've had a wonderful time chatting with you, Cherry. I wanted to know if there's anything that you'd like to mention or talk about before we go. No, I don't think so. It's been lovely to talk to you too.